this morning, we want to turn our attention to uh, the 21st Psalm, Psalm 21. Psalm 21, it's a very familiar passage, um, but I believe it's one that we need to take some time to study and take some time to dig deep into. Also, if this is your first time worshiping with us, we want to say welcome uh, to Calvary Bible Church. Good to see some old faces with us this morning as well, and uh, we're very thankful uh, that you made a um, made some effort to be with us this morning. Psalm 121, verse number one declares, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Uh, this morning, I want to just share uh, from, the, from the sermon title, Help is on the Way. Help is on the way. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for uh, the divine appointment that you give us to be able to enter into your word. God, I'm thankful for this passage. I'm thankful uh, that, is, that there is a promise for every believer that we can receive help. Lord, we don't want to acknowledge that we need help. We don't want to um, humble ourselves to be in a position where we're vulnerable. But God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of a character in scripture who got to a place where they made a bold confession that they needed help. But we thank you that they didn't simply tell us about the help they needed, God. They, they told us about the source of the help. And I thank you, God, that there, though there are thousands of years between when this passage was penned to when this passage is being preached today, God, but the same God who provides help is available to help us. God, help us to, to be in a position where we are willing to receive what is available to us. And this morning, we want to talk about that help. We love you. And we thank you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Uh, annually, scary movies gross over $1 billion in ticket sales in just America alone. I'm sure some of you would probably have an opinion what is the best uh, scary movie franchise. Uh, some might say Nightmare on Elm Street. Some may say The Exorcist. Uh, some may say Tales from the Crypt, or others may even say uh, Tales from the Hood. Some of y'all missed that, but it's okay. <laughs> I say that jokingly because we're about to enter into a, a really heavy subject and topic this morning. While there are some who love scary movies, and I want to say very openly and passionately, please be careful about what you watch on TV because it does impact your spirit. There's some who enjoy scary movies. There's some who enjoy going to uh, watch things that put them in fright and fear. But there are others who are here this morning who would say that they've had to endure things in their life 
They've had to endure real challenges in their life. They've had to endure real dangers in their life that would, that would rival and run circles around anything that we've ever seen on the big screen. I know that uh, with a congregation this large, there's some people under the sound of my voice who've had to face real danger, who've had to face real difficulties, who've had seasons in their life where they've been frightened and afraid. This morning, I'm sure there's a person who's had to, at one time or another, face an abuser. Uh, there are veterans here who've, at one time or another, had to face the realities of war. Uh, there are people who are here under the sound of my voice who have uh, been on the, on the other side of a gun being pointed at them. Or there have been some people who've had to face significant accidents. And the longer I live, the more I am reminded by the reality that there will be times in my life where I will face troubles that I cannot handle on my own. There will be times in my life where I find myself in situations where I am overwhelmed and I need someone to step in to help. Now, I want to be very clear this morning. I'm not talking about uh, those contemporary first world struggles that you and I are consumed with. I'm not talking about when the Wi-Fi is slow. I'm not talking about when I go to a restaurant, which happened last week, and they got my order wrong. My fish wasn't crispy enough. I'm not talking about when uh, the line at Starbucks is too long. I'm talking about when you are facing real struggles and real significant challenges in your life. And I want to encourage someone that if you've ever gotten to that place, if you've ever been in a place in your life where you've faced significant troubles, I want to encourage you that it is not uncommon to ask the question to yourself or out of your mouth, does anyone care? When you're going through troubles, it's okay if you ask yourself the question, does anyone care? It's okay if you ask yourself the question, can anyone help? Like I've even been in times of my life where I've asked the question, God, have you forgotten about me? And if you've ever asked that question, or if you're currently asking that question, or if, you will, uh, if you've asked those questions in the past, I want to encourage you that Psalm 21 is an important passage because in the 21st Psalm, we are reminded that help is on the way. The 21st Psalm is known as a traveler psalm. It is the second in a collection of psalms called the song, Songs of Ascent. Uh, this would be the passage that would conclude Psalm 120, through Psalm 134. These are songs that Jewish pilgrims would sing as they travel in a caravan to Jerusalem to celebrate the annual Old Testament festivals. Commentators have strategically said that these are called the, the pilgrim songs because it is filled with the, the imagery of a, a group of people who are on a journey. And without taking too much time to connect the dots, as we read the 21st Psalm, it reminds us that the life that we live is a life that is very similar to a rough journey. I love the Bible because it reminds us that on the journey of life, on the journey that we call life, we will face danger. We will face difficulties. And although this is myself, I'm preaching to myself this morning, I want to believe that once I place my faith in Christ, that once I have given up certain sins, that my life should be similar to a vacation. I want to believe that life in the church should be very similar to a cruise ship, a place that is 
filled with unlimited entertainment, a place that is comfortable and convenient. But when we look at the truth in God's word and when we look at our lives, we understand that the church is not like a cruise ship. A church is more like a battleship. This is a training ground for spiritual warfare. And life is not like a vacation because life is not about me being served, but life is about how I'm called to serve other people. The text that we will study today reminds us that we are on a journey, and the journey that we are on is going to be a rough journey. It reminds us that the journey that we are on will have disappointments. It reminds us that the journey that we, will, that we are on will have difficulties, and it reminds us that the, the journey that we are on requires that we have a relationship with God to, to, to arrive at the destination that God has for us. Here's the reality that we got to begin with this morning. We cannot safely make it to the destination that God has for us by ourselves. Let me say it again. You will not. You cannot. It is impossible for you to make it to where God wants you to be without God. I want you to pause for a second. I want you to think about wherever you are in your life, wherever you are, spiritually, financially, emotionally, relationally. I want you to think about where you are right now. I want you to catch this, this picture. Wherever you are right now and wherever God desires for you to be, for you to get there, it is going to require God's help. You may have not said the, the terms that are specifically in the passage, but you will get to a place in your life where you will join David in asking the question, from where does my help come? Because we are human, um, it is natural for us to want to believe or to accept a lie that, that a certain job will bring help. That, that if I get the certain job, that, that, that the certain job or the certain career, the certain vocation will keep us safe and satisfied on the journey. Because we're, we are, we're human, it's easy for me to believe that, that a certain lifestyle will keep me safe and satisfied on the journey. Because I'm human, it's easy for me to believe that, that certain relationships will keep me safe and satisfied on this journey. When, when in reality, the only one who is able to keep us safe and satisfied on the journey is God. The great preacher um, Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He says, the purposes of God, the divine attributes, the providence, the predestination, the, 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 the providential care and the faithfulness of the Lord are the hills in which we must come to look to. So rather than looking to the bank account, I must first look to God. Rather than looking for the job title, I must first look to God. Rather than looking for the relationship, I must first look to God. So as we begin our study this morning, i got to begin with the question, where do you find help? Question for all of us. In your life personally, right now today, where is it that you find a source of help? I mean, all of us this morning want to believe that we are good Faithful Christians, we're in the South, we're in Georgia, we're in church this morning. I mean, all of us want to, to openly be able to confess that, yes, the Lord is the source of my help. But I think we would do well to, to look a little bit deeper to evaluate where we are this morning. 
would do well to evaluate just for one particular area, what are we praying for? And who are we praying to? We know very simply that prayer is communication with God. But we know too many times we spend time communicating with other people more so than we spend time communicating with God. We spend more time posting about it and texting about it than we actually do praying about it. On the other side of that, the, the prayer coin is, uh, what we really, what really is most important to us is revealed by what we pray most for. There's nothing wrong with having a, a inclusive prayer life. There's no area of your life that you should not be able to take to God. Please do not hear me challenging you with, with praying more. I believe that there is not an area in your life that you should not be able to go boldly to the throne of grace to be able to present those things to the Lord. There's not an area of your life that you should not be praying for. And when you think about the areas of your life that you're praying for, we got to check the motivations of our heart. And we got to check the ultimate desires of our heart. Should you pray for health? Absolutely. Should you pray for your finances? Absolutely. Should you pray for safety? Absolutely. Should you pray for victory in every single area of your life? Absolutely. But if my prayers look more like a Christmas wish list than me trying to live out the commandments of God, then there's a problem. Should you pray for a promotion on your job? Of course you should. But I hope while you're praying for the promotion that you're praying for more influence so that you can share Christ on your job. As you pray for the promotion, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that you're also praying that you can use the increase uh, in your influence, the increase in pay for the purposes in the kingdom of God. It's okay to pray for the new house or the new car or the nice vacation. It's okay to do all of those things as long as those things are connected to the purposes of God. When you look at Psalm 121, it gives us three very simple reasons or three very present points of application why we can trust that God is going to send help on the way. First, when you look at the text, when you look at verses 1 and 2, the text promises us and paints the picture that the Lord is our helper. Verse number 1 says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The key word in verses 1 and 2 is the word help. Linguistically, the word help means to aid. It means to give relief. It means to give, to give support. But I want you to understand that this word help means so much more than that. The word is not used of one who assists you as you lead the way. I'm going to say this again. God's help is not categorized by him assisting you as you are in control. Um, it's not you driving the car and Jesus being in the passenger seat. It's not you calling the shot and Jesus executing your plan. When you look at the word, the way it is used in the text, it is used to remind us that too many of us have limited God's availability and God's activity in our life to say that, God, I don't want you to make any decisions. God, I just want to use your stuff to get things done. Lord, I want you in my life, but Lord, I just want you to come alongside to help me get done what I've already concluded needs to get done. In the passage, the truth 
that is being communicated is not that God is willing to help you as you get done the things that you want done, but the text is communicating that God is the one who rescues you from a crisis that you cannot overcome on your own. The, the, the image is kind of like of, of, of one who is lost at sea, one who is on the verge of drowning, one who is tired, one who is weary, one who is worn out, and one who is passed out and is lifeless. And just in the nick of time, the Coast Guard shows up to rescue that person. When the Coast Guard arrives, they're not interested in how you want to be rescued. They're not simply concerned about they are only concerned about preserving your life and getting you to safety. On a much higher level, when we think about God, how God provides help, i got to say this very clearly to myself. God is not interested in how Thomas wants to be helped. God only is interested in rescuing Thomas from his sin and his self. If we are honest, the way God shows up, or the timing that God shows up, it's certainly not according to my plan, and it does not always meet my timetable, but the text is telling us that God is willing to rescue us from danger. Verses 1 and 2 present the picture of God as being our helper. And in doing so, we see a foundational truth and a faithful testimony. A foundational truth and a faithful testimony. First, the psalm begins with a statement. It is, it begins with a statement and a question. It says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? The opening statement, I will lift up my eyes to the hills, is a simple statement. But the text is really unclear. Uh, could it be that the psalmist looked to the hills and was concerned as he began the journey, or that the psalmist looked to the hills and was reminded of Jerusalem and was encouraged? Either way, when you look at it, he asks the question from where does my help come? Verse 1 records a question and a statement, and the psalmist lifts up his eyes to the hills, and he asks the question from where does my help come? The question confronts us with the fact of life. The reason why I can say very clearly and emphatically that you will need help is because the text is telling us that you are going to need help. I know we're strong. I know we're tough. I know we've overcome a lot. I know we're going to have uh, to, I know we've overcome a lot of dangers, but the text is telling us that in life, the journey is long, the road is tough, the burdens are heavy, the climb is steep, the danger, dangers are real, and it is impossible for you and I to reach the, the intended journey God has for us by ourselves. It may not always be obvious, but it is true that we are going to need help that only comes from the Lord. And asking from where does my help come, the psalmist confesses that he could not help himself. We know from context that, that people would take this journey not alone. So in asking from where does my help come, he says, I cannot help myself. But he's also saying that those who accompanied me could not provide the help that I needed as well. The text implicitly is telling us that I cannot help myself. The text is telling us that my friends cannot help. The text is telling us even my family cannot help. It's telling us that there are going to be some areas of your life and some things that you face that only God will be able to help those areas. It's great to have family. It's great to have friends. It's great to have a church. 
Like I'm thankful for my body. I'm thankful for the body of Christ, the believers who God has called me to do life with. But here's the foundational truth. There's some things that you cannot help me with. I hope I'm a good pastor. I hope I'm a faithful pastor. But there's some areas of your life that I will not be able to help you with. And those are the areas of your life where you will have to go to God to get help. That's the foundational truth. But secondly, there is a faithful testimony. Verse 2 says, once again, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. There's only one person who is able to give the help, and that is the one who created the heavens and the earth. My help comes from the Lord because it is the Lord who is able to provide the help. The statement, God helps those who help themselves, is unbiblical. We want to believe that you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, that you got to get things done on your own, but you cannot. The scripture teaches us the opposite, that God helps those who cannot help themselves. Isaiah 40, verse 29 says, He will give power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. I, I love the passage because it reminds me that self-sufficiency disqualifies me from divine help. If I want to be proud, if I want to shake my fist at God, if I want to think I have it all together, if I want to get to a place in my life where I'm unwilling to be humble, I am disqualifying myself from divine assistance. In verse 2, he says, he answers, what does my help come from? From the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, not by giving us a list of people, but giving us a name that he identifies himself with. He says the one who is able to help is the one who has created the heavens and the earth. I love the passage because it, it challenges us with the truth. It challenges us with a confession or a testimony that he had to get to a place in his life where he was more concerned about the source of the help rather than the means of the help. Let me say that again. So many times in life we are concerned about the means. How is God going to figure it out? How is God going to do it? What is God going to, how is he going to answer? Versus focusing on the source of the help. The source of the help comes from the Lord. True that God chooses to use his resources to help in whatever way he chooses to. I cannot tell God how to use his resources. I've got to be focused on the source of the help. Verse 2, second part. My help comes from the Lord. Who is the Lord? It is identified by the one who made the heavens and the earth. I've said this before. The most important verse in the Bible is the first verse in the Bible. In Genesis 1-1, we see that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And in understanding that God is our creator, it reminds us that God is ultimately in control. One of the things I've been saying over and over again, um, because the Lord has been telling me this over and over again, is when I look at the passages, when I look at uh, the scriptures, I'm constantly reminded with where is my focus. Last week, we talked about David being in the, in, the, in the cave. He could have focused on the cave. He could have focused on Saul. He could have focused on the enemies of the Lord, but he chose to focus on the things of God. In your life, you will daily you will be challenged with the reality, where is my focus? Is it on those who are against me? Is it on the areas of my life that are lacking? Is it on the areas that are wrong? Or is my focus on the one who is for me? Because if God is for me, then it does not matter who is against me. So number one, we see that the Lord is our helper. But secondly, we see that the Lord 
verses 1 and 2, the key word is help. But verses 3 through 6, the key word is keep. This word is used six times in the verses in the psalm. Looked to God for help on the basis of God's character. In simple terms, the text is telling us that God or the Lord is our keeper. He tells us two specific areas where God is able to keep us. He says he's able to keep your feet stable. He's able to keep your hands strong. And he's also able to keep your life secure. The Lord will keep your feet stable. In ancient times, there was no, uh, there were no paved roads. Uh, there were no engineered highways. But there was only rugged terrain. And the text is telling us that God is able to keep us from stumbling and falling. Verse 3 tells us the one who walks with God enjoys the benefit of not being moved. Look at the text. It's not promising us that life will not be hard. Even in Jude uh, 124, it says, Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Uh, this is not a guarantee that believers will never fall. But it, it, was, it, is a, it is a promise that God keeps us in the midst of a fall. Psalm, verse, uh, Psalm 37, verses 23 through 24 say, The steps of a good man are established by the Lord. When he delights in his way, though he fall, he should not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. The Lord will keep you on your feet. The Lord will protect you from doctrinal error. The Lord will protect you from falling away. In this journey called life, you're going to need the Lord to help you stay stable in the midst of confusion. Verse 3 also says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. The picture is of a soldier who's on duty during the night watch. This is what God does for us. God does not get drowsy. God is like that, that faithful soldier who's watching over Every single area of your life. There's a true story told of the Greek general, Alexander the Great. He was in the midst of many wars, and someone asked him a question. He said, how are you able to sleep so well at night when so many people are trying to kill you? He replied that Perminio, his faithful guard, was watching. He says, as long as Perminio is watching my back, he says, I'm able to sleep well. I think all of us would do well to think about God that way. That the Lord is watching over us. I remember when we first had, had our babies. We didn't know nothing. You look at, you're just looking at them sleep. You're just watching over them. You're just making sure they're okay. By that fourth one, you don't even care. You just throw them in there. <laughs> Ain't no problems, right? <laughs> but that's how God is. Like God is watching over us. God is protecting us. God is making sure that we are safe. And when we think about it from that perspective, since God does not take any breaks, since God does not sleep or slumber, I can rest. I mean, how many times have I kept myself up all night worrying about things that God has promised to work out? How many days have I, I missed the joy of the Lord? I missed enjoying where God has me because I'm so worried I'm so overwhelmed and consumed about what could happen if this doesn't happen, if this happens, rather than understanding that the Lord is my keeper and that the Lord is willing to watch over me. I love the text because it says he keeps Israel, which reminds us that, that God's track record is true. 
God's track record of keeping his promise is not based upon people's performance. If you think about it, you just look at one character from the scriptures like uh, Jacob, who was uh, on the run from his brother after stealing his birthright. Uh, One night, Jacob slept under the stars, and he dreamed about this ladder reaching up from heaven to earth, and the angels were descending and ascending. And in Genesis 28, 15, it says, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Think about it. Jacob was a hustler. He was a slickster. He was a sinner. And what does God say to him? He says, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Say it again. To the slickster, to the liar, to the, to the schemer, this is what God says. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. I hope that's encouraging to somebody today. Not that we have a license to sin, but it's encouragement that God has promised to be faithful to his word to us, which means that when we fall short, which means that when our performance is not good for God, that does not mean that God throws us away and casts us away, that God forgets about us. No, even when we are faithless, God is faithful. It's a reminder that God is our keeper. In the text, it says that the Lord will provide our shade. He will provide us from being suffocated from the circumstances of life. Psalms 91 verse 1 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. In Psalms 121 it says, He will provide shade on your right hand. This is a reminder that God is imminent and God is near. Psalms uh, Psalms 16 verse verse 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. It's important for me to say it this way. In scripture, the right hand is the place of favor and strength. As I studied this week, I came across a commentary that provided a powerful thought I want to share with you. Um, God is communicating to us that God doesn't just cover the areas of weakness, but God also covers our areas of strength. I'll say it again. God does not just cover our weaknesses, but God blesses our strength. We think that we need God to help us in areas of weakness. But in reality, we are so weak in our areas of strength that God has to step into those areas as well. In the text, the right hand is a position of power and a position of favor and a position of strength. And God says, even in that area, I'm going to cover you with strength. Think about it this way. Abraham, his strength was his faith. Yet he went down to Egypt in unbelief, saying that his wife was his sister. Moses' strength was his meekness, yet he lost his temper and hit the rock. Elijah's strength was his, was his courage, yet he fled down from Jezebel. We don't need God to discover our weaknesses, but we need the Lord also to help us in the areas that are strong. Verse, verse 6 and 121 says, Then uh, the sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The verse is not talking about uh, sun strokes or moon strokes, but the passage is talking about uh, that God provides around the clock protection for his children. Whether it's dark or whether it's light, whether it's day or whether it's night, the scripture is promising us that God will keep us. And the text, though, doesn't, doesn't promise us that God will lessen the heat of the day. 
Does it promise us that God will, will brighten the darkness of the night? But the text promises that God will keep us in the midst of the day and the night. So first, the Lord is our helper. And secondly, the Lord is our keeper. And then lastly, the Lord is our sustainer. Verses 3 through 6 um, give a powerful metaphor um, that, that communicate how God is able to keep us strong. But the final stanza gives us just a plain term description of what God is able to do. Verse 7 says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Evil can refer to moral evil or physical evil or even um, something spiritually evil. But the scope of the promise is that God is able to keep us from all evil. Everything that will come against us, God is able to protect us from. So when you look at the text, when you look at the passage, it is a, it is a promise from, from the Lord that there is not an area of my life that is outside of God's protection. It is not an area of my life where God is not able to intervene and bless. Now, some of us will say, well, preacher, why is it that hard times happen? Why is it that people die? Why is it that people are hurting? Why is it that things go wrong? Thank you for asking me that. The reason why those things happen is because of sin. The reason why those things happen is because of the fall. And even in the fall and the hard moments and in the sufferings of life, God has given us an answer to those things in Christ. If we see this as heaven, if we see this earth as heaven, then we will constantly be thinking that this is wrong, that God has forgotten about us, that God has not done what he said he will do. But if we see this as, as, a, as a stop on the journey, if we see this as, if we see ourselves as pilgrims passing through, if we see ourselves as headed to a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth, then we will understand that the things that I have deemed as wrong and as hard and as unfortunate are things that God has ultimately answered in Christ. To me, the pilgrim psalm is important because all of us are like pilgrims. All of us are on a journey, and we've got to make a decision. Is, is heaven my ultimate home, or is this earth my home? Because if I understand that I'm a citizen of heaven, though I'm a resident of earth, it changes my perspective. It changes how I pray. It changes how I live. It changes how I make decisions. Because if I understand that I'm living for, for something greater, that I'm living for something more important, for something more internal, then it changes how I live my life today. Chris, you can come on up. We're done for this morning. When we think about it, we have two very, very simple points of application this morning. Y'all know me. I want to do three since it was three points, but I'm going to just do two. Right. The first thing that we got to ask ourselves is, where do you find your help? I'm so, so, so thankful for our church. I'm so thankful for the diversity of our church and the love of our church. I'm thankful for the community that's found in our church. But, but here's what our church will never be able to do. Our church will never be able to replace God. I hope that this is a place where we encourage one another and we point each other to Jesus. But there's got to be a personal relationship with you and God where God ultimately meets the greater needs in your heart. So yes, 
We're going to pray together. We're going to love each other. We're going to walk alongside you. But this will never be a substitute for him. Secondly, after you recognize where do you find your help, hopefully that's in the Lord and not in people. Second question is, where is your focus? On the means of help or the source of help? There was a, um, a couple weeks ago, there was a very wealthy uh, gentleman who uh, wrote a check um, to my alma mater. I went to Morehouse College, and um, Mr. Smith ruined it for every graduation speaker in any school across the world, right? He, he wrote a check for $40 million, and he cleared the student debt of all the graduating seniors. Never been so jealous and so happy for those brothers, right? It's like, Lord, you could have done it for me. But anyway, when you think about it, do you think that any of those young men would shake their fist at Mr. Smith? Like, why didn't you do this before? Like, why, like, why did you make me go through school and get these loans? I have to sign paperwork and sign this and do Sally Mae and... Or do you think they were just appreciative that he was a source of clearing their debts? I'm sure none of those guys could have dreamed up how he was going to bless them. But he had a plan that blessed them. To me, that reminds me of the Lord. I don't know how God's going to work things out. I don't know how God is going to choose to bless me. But the longer I live, I just keep seeing him bless me. I just keep seeing him work. And I'm getting to the place in my life. I'm not there yet, 100%. But I'm getting to the place in my life where I really don't care about the means. I don't really don't care about the timetable. I need to be more focused on the source. Because the truth of the matter is, I don't deserve the source. I don't deserve salvation. I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve grace. But because he loves me and he cares for me, he's made a decision to be my source. We pray for us. Father, thank you so much for opportunity to get into your word. Pray specifically, Lord, that you would help us to grow, that you would help us to be focused on you as our source. God, I am so humbled to be able to be here as a pastor. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity to open up your word. God, as we leave this place, I pray specifically, Lord, that we would continue to wrestle with this truth. God, that this week we would reject finding help in places other than you. Yes, we need to go to work. Yes, we need to have a job. Yes, we need to go to school. But ultimately, those things are just means. Those things are not our source. So help us to always remember our source. We love you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.